Are you ready? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the inaugural edition of A Shot of Wrestling Reports. If you have not done so already, follow us on all forms of social media at A Shot of Wrestling on Facebook and Instagram and Shot of Wrestling No A on Twitter. You can also contact us via email at inbox at a shot of wrestling.com or dial it up 619-343-3005 and leave your comments on a shot of wrestling hotline. And we said it time and time again that wrestling brings us together and today is no different but usually when we say that phrase it is in a positive note but today unfortunately wrestling has brought us together through a tragedy a tragedy that many of us do not want to speak of a tragedy that actually makes many of us very uncomfortable in fact a tragedy that involves an individual that to this point he is the one that we should not mention Today, we unfortunately will have the tough task to talk about the double murder-suicide of Chris Benoit and the Benoit family. Now, what a shot of wrestling reports is, is an insight at my academics. I went to Queens College and studied media studies, and any opportunity that I had to mix my academic career with my love and passion for professional wrestling, well, I just jumped right at it. I took a sociology course, and one of the themes and uh, subjects that semester was criminology. Now by 2010, when I have written this paper, a few years have gone by since the tragedy of the Benoit family, so there were actually books written that I could resource and research about what actually happened on that day. Now I gotta be honest with you, I have contemplated about uh, releasing this paper a few times throughout the years and something has stopped me. For some reason now in 2019, I feel empowered to share this information with you because there's a lot of interesting uh, topics that we'll discuss. So stay tuned to the end as I recap how this paper has now resonated to me in 2019 even though it has been written in 2010 uh, so if you're ready and willing i'm able let's get to the paper Crippler's Social Collapse From triumph to tragedy has been a phrase that professional wrestling announcers have used to describe the success of professional wrestling's elite and their downfall. A phrase commonly used during championship matches is now used to describe the double murder-suicide of the Benoit family. In Ring of Hell by Matthew Rendazzo in 2008, he shows the psychological breakdown of Chris Benoit through the years of alcohol, painkillers, steroid, and drug abuse. The double murder-suicide made national headlines and shook the foundation of professional wrestling. No stranger to steroid use himself, successful wrestling promoter Vincent 
Kennedy McMahon installed a wellness program in his company, largely due to the premature passing of one of their superstars, Eddie Guerrero. A longtime friend to Benoit, Eddie traveled the same circuit. Both shared successes in organizations like New Japan Wrestling, World Championship Wrestling, and Eastern Championship Wrestling, most commonly known as ECW. Eddie Guerrero, a born-again Christian, befriended Benoit during one of his most struggling times. Now, when his close friend became a statistic to a young, dying breed of wrestlers, Eddie shared his faith and friendship with Benoit. Randazzo explains that Benoit experienced the lonely life of an 80-year-old where all his close friends were passing. The hardest deaths that Benoit experienced until this point was that of his best friend Victor Black Cat Marr and his tag team partner Brian the Loose Cannon Pillman. Since Benoit was garnished with his own nickname as the Crippler, we will later discuss how nicknames or labels in professional wrestling affect the lifestyle of its wrestlers. The downward spiral of Benoit began to show publicly when his best friend Eddie Guerrero died in 2005. On November 12th, Eddie's nephew Chavo Guerrero found his uncle slouched over his sink in a hotel bathroom. The first call Chavo made was not to a family but to Benoit who was staying in that same hotel. Benoit rushed to Eddie's room, embraced the corpse tenderly, kissed his buddy farewell, and paramedics removed that body. On November 18th, WWE's broadcast of Friday Night SmackDown issued a tribute show to Eddie Guerrero, where Benoit wrestled. Benoit, who has made a reputation of being a strong, aggressive, powerful man's man, had a televised emotional breakdown. Benoit's reputation originated from the training in the Hart family dungeon and the frat-like hazing of the New Japan Dojo. Both training facilities demanded respect and any of its graduates due to their tough training customs. For Benoit to break kayfabe on national TV was uncharacteristic of the disciplined Hart dungeon and dojo graduate. Benoit's death followed the chain of premature deaths of wrestlers that died from what in, in the business referred to as wrestling cocktails, a unique concoction of steroids, drugs, and alcohol. McMahon, who in the past five years produced two tribute shows to fallen wrestlers, was involved in a similar storyline. As a promoter enriched in old-school wrestling values, he looked to the show's validity in his own televised homicide. Two weeks prior to Benoit's death, McMahon's mimicked the series finale of The Sopranos, where he entered a white limousine that exploded. Creatively, the writers of the weekly episodic cable show Monday Night Raw were instructed by McMahon to pull no stops. Wrestling fans swarmed the internet message boards to comment on the validity of these events. The WWE website provided news updates, wrestler issued tribute promos, law enforcement and expert interviews were provided. Even a press release was leaked that stated that the incident was treated as a homicide and even their company flags flew at half-mast. 
The week after McMahon's explosion, one of the female superstars passed away. Remember Hall of Famer Sherry Martell? Well, she died of an accidental drug overdose. McMahon, determined to maintain the validity of the story, would not break kayfabe until Monday, June 25th. On Monday, June 25th, 2007, WWE was notified of an alarming text message from Chris Benoit to Chavo Guerrero. The company contacted the Fayetteville Sheriff's Police Department to check the Benoit residence. When authorities arrived, they discovered the three bodies. Nancy Benoit was found upstairs in the family room with her wrists and feet bound and her body wrapped in a towel. Her injuries suggested that someone pressed a knee into her back while pulling a television cord around her neck. Benoit's son was found suffocated in a bedroom with no bruises. Benoit was found in his gym, hung by a weightlifting machine. Benoit tied a noose to the weight cord to hang himself. Now, when Benoit released the weights, approximately 240 pounds caused his strangulation. Life crisis and traumatic experiences are one of the many reasons that people commit suicide. And there is nothing more traumatic than waking up in a home that resembles a scene of a horror movie. Toxicology reports would find that Sanex and hydrocodone were found in Benoit's system. Dr. Phil C. Astins III was the personal doctor for Chris Benoit and is currently serving a 10-year sentence for illegally prescribing drugs to the wrestler. When investigators began to put the pieces together, an early clue proved to be false. A contributor to Wikipedia website posted a mention of Nancy's death a full 14 hours before her body had been recovered by the police. But the writer, who chose to remain anonymous, later apologized, saying he was repeating an idle rumor that, by huge coincidence, turned out to be true. Phone records retrieved show a communication between Chris Benoit and Chavo Guerrero on Saturday, June 23rd through Sunday, June 24th. The messages indicate that Chris Benoit was going to be late for a scheduled event due to a missed flight. Chavo called Benoit when he failed to attend the house show on Saturday, June 23rd. Benoit explained that he stayed up all night with Nancy and Daniel who had severe food poisoning. The evening of Sunday, June 24th, Benoit was scheduled to win the ECW Heavyweight Championship at a pay-per-view. When he failed to attend the pay-per-view, WWE officials talked to Chavo who showed them the final text message that he shared with Benoit. The message stated that the dogs were in an enclosed pool area and the side door by the garage was left open. Whether or not Benoit was actually thinking of attending the events for a final curtain call, we will never know. What could make a successful, respected, admired wrestler murder his family? Could it be the divorce that Nancy filed weeks before the incident, the death of his tag team partner, or the death of his best friend? How about the demands of a wrestler's travel schedule, or maybe the in-ring character of the Crippler? 
Individually, each situation can send a normal individual on a downward spiral. But the combination of all the social elements combined with drug abuse killed the Benoit family. Social process theory explains that all people, regardless of their race, class, or gender, have the potential of becoming delinquents or criminals, according to Siegel, 2006. Many believe that money can provide happiness, but late rapper Christopher Wallace, aka the Notorious B.I.G., garnered the phrase, more money, more problems, which could not be further than the truth in Benoit's case. Every social class has its own burdens, and even though Benoit's professional successes gave him financial successes, the question was, at what cost? As a 15-year-old, Chris Benoit's physique did not resemble a professional wrestler, let alone an athlete. The eager youngster followed wrestlers when they came into his hometown of Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Many wrestlers from the Northern Territory of Stampede Wrestling remember Benoit as the quiet shadow that was always at their shows. The wrestler that Benoit admired the most was Tom the Dynamite Kid Billington. Benoit admired him for being a smaller wrestler who could deliver high-flying acrobatic moves and delivered one hell of a clothesline. Unbeknownst to Billington, he would not only become Benoit's mentor, but he would act as a father figure to him. The relationship that families have are important to determine the behavior of an individual. Having a positive, negative, or absent relationship in a family can either make you a criminal offender or make you refrain from it. Families that raise their children in a household that lacks love and has absent parents are vulnerable to crime-promoting forces in the environment. Benoit grew up in a middle-class family where both parents worked. When Benoit began to get closer to the wrestlers at the shows, the wrestlers became his family. The wrestling family structure is similar to a fraternity, a band of brothers that unite through common interests but are easily tempted by sex, drugs, and or violence. As a young kid to be exposed to this lifestyle, Benoit was heading down the wrong road. Physiologists have long recognized that peer group has powerful effects on human conduct and can have a dramatic influence on the decision-making and behavioral choices. The famous Hart Family Dungeon trained future champions like Brett the Hitman Hart, Chris Jericho, and superstar Billy Graham. The dungeon was amply named for its hardcore training regiments, similar to that of medieval sports that showed no regard to human life. Stu Hart was the leader of this boot camp that was known for inducing pain. When trainees screamed and wept in pain, Stu would sink in the hold even deeper. Wrestlers would tell stories of how they were physically and psychologically beaten. Wrestlers who wanted to make it knew that they would gain large amounts of credibility and respect for withstanding the pain of the dungeon. The peer pressure that everyone gave each other was different than that of your friends asking you to try something new. 
the peer pressure in the dungeon stemmed from individuals' desire to show who was the alpha male. If Jericho lasted a, in a 10-minute match, then Benoit wanted to last 11. If Brett took a soft bump to the mat, then Benoit wanted to welt in pain. Through this cult-like learning process, Stu had the influence and attention of each of his pupils. Many who graduated the dungeon would begin to wrestle as stars for Stu Hart's organization, Stampede Wrestling, which was family-run similar to that of the WWE. Benoit, however, wanted to earn more respect and credibility, which was why he was referred to the New Japan Dojo, which made the dungeon look like a playground. This will be the start of how Benoit associated pain with gaining respect. In fact, this hazing mentality that wrestlers have increases their pain threshold to act like ticking time bombs. Each wrestler surpasses their tragedies with wrestling cocktails until their bodies or minds give in. How do wrestlers manage to make sense of their physical torture? In Pain in the Act, the meaning of pain among professional wrestlers, Smith explains that pain is given a different meaning depending on the time, place, or persons involved. Many of us cannot imagine how people can handle the pain of getting a tattoo, but according to Smith's research, they can handle the pain because they are in a place where the pain is acceptable. Wrestlers work through the same pain in the ring and are trained to be tough and manage that pain. Getting hit over the head with a chair hurts, but in a wrestling match, it has become a common practice that wrestlers become immune to that pain. When Benoit returned to the U.S., he knew he had to add more muscle to make it. The wrestling fans in Japan admire the athleticism of a wrestler, while the U.S., mere size is what it's admired. When Benoit decided to run with the big boys, he decided to look the part. Billington would enter Benoit's life again, and this time, it was to show him how to inject himself with growth hormones to gain muscle mass. Steroids has always been a part amongst wrestlers. A study conducted by Hargensons show that athletes that take steroids show an increase in body mass of 5 to 20%. It also examined the aggression, hostility, and mood. It stated that male bodybuilders experience mood changes and increases in their libido, which increase aggression and hostility. The same study explained that mood was not disturbed, but depending on the quality of steroid taken, it did show a slight change. Benoit may have been satisfied with the alternative that Billington provided to increase mass, but according to Hutchinson's, the use of steroids would have changed his aggression and mood and may have been one of the causes in the murder of his family. The excess of steroid use showed a different bigger, dominant specimen in the American market. Benoit, still soft-spoken outside the ring, inside the ring, could now compete with heavyweights like the Hitman, The Rock, and The Undertaker. At this point, Benoit had already earned the name The Crippler for his legendary match that broke the neck of an ECW wrestler. Inside the ring, announcers described Benoit as ruthless 
relentless and unforgiving. The article Talking Smack in 2008 referred to an announcer's labels as sport talk. This type of language infiltrates our culture and changes our values on what is or is not acceptable. The Crippler became a household name that meant someone who was admired or hardworking. When sport talk transforms negative labels or phrases to positive or tolerable personas, it is not only dangerous for the audience watching, but for the individual who has that label. Positive or not, the crippler lived up to his name in and out of the ring. An example of social reaction theory. We have now learned how the social process approach guided Benoit to murder his family. Through social learning, Benoit learned his criminal behavior from Billington, whose blood-drenched matches were admired by the young Canadian. Social control theory explains that human behavior is controlled through close associations with institutions and individuals. The Dungeon, the New Japan Dojo, and every wrestling organization that Benoit wrestled in allowed him to continue making the life-threatening bonds that ultimately killed his career and his family. Finally, social reaction theory, otherwise known as labeling theory, explains that Benoit's nicknames as the Crippler put him in a mental state to become a murderer. He drew his strengths from the ability to cripple his family and the wrestling industry just like he crippled his opponents in the ring. He was ruthless, relentless, and unforgiving. The professional wrestling industry has lost many performers but never as dramatic as Benoit. You have to question the social process approach if out of all the wrestlers only one became a murderer. If the Dynamite Kid was part of the same industry and he thought, taught Benoit everything he knew, why didn't Billington kill his family? Or with a name like the Hitman, why didn't Bret Hart accept his label and become a hired assassin? Every wrestler has the pressure to succeed and when they see the physical bigger wrestler become successful, they all think that body enhancement drugs is the answer. Body enhancement drugs are the shortcut and are usually used by individuals who are peer pressured by weaker wrestlers to eliminate the competition. right everybody welcome back that is the end of the paper um kind of feels like it was left unfinished to be honest with you i ended up getting an a on it uh there were a lot of people that i cited in in that paper uh one book in particular that i did read in fact i, re I think i remember reading it to a wrestlemania on the plane this was back before uh, there were so many smartphones in everybody's hands um that Michael J. Putty and I actually took books to read with us on the plane. Um, but that book was Ring of Hell, the story of Chris Benoit and the fall of pro wrestling, of the pro wrestling industry. It was written by 
Matthew Randazzo in 2008. Um, other works that were cited were actually textbooks that I was reading uh, for the course. Uh, so maybe that's why it was ended as a like unfinished piece because I was trying to just to stick in a lot of the things that we were actually discussing in class and kind of putting the whole paper together once I realized we were talking a lot about wrestling and not too much about actually what was going on in sociology and criminology. So, uh, But there you have it. Some of the things that did stick out to me, uh, when this was written, it was 2010. It's 2019 now. There's been a lot of growth in me individually as a person and in me as a professional wrestling fan. First of all, as an individual, I have a family now. I have a young son who's two years old, a beautiful wife, a great home. And to look back and read this and really get engulfed in actually what was going on, it, it tears me up inside. It tears me up inside to know that Chris Benoit suffocated his kid and choked out his wife. I mean, to I always try to be the person to put myself in someone else's shoes, and I did for a moment, and, and just being in Benoit's shoes mentally made me sick, made me uncomfortable. It was something that I do not want to ever think about again. And that may be one of the reasons that a lot of people do not want to talk about this topic because it was a dark day in professional wrestling. Another thing that has changed is my growth as a professional wrestling fan. I have grown from just being a spectator and watching uh, wrestling unfold and the stories unfold on TV to going to independent shows and mixing and mingling with professional wrestlers who will be the futures of tomorrow. I see a lot of their struggle. I see how hard it is. The professional wrestling business is not made for everybody. And I understand that there's a lot of pressures to make it. But I never could see how the pressures would get you to do such heinous acts. Um, steroids get mixed into it. Uh, drugs, alcohol get mixed with it. And those are also pressures. Um, something else I want to talk about is that frat-like grouping mentality. And I don't know if it was just because I didn't want to explore it any further. I think I should have because I'm a frat guy myself. Tau Epsilon Phi is the fraternity I pledged in college. And yeah, I was bonded together with a group of guys due to our common interests. Most of the common interests were girls and parties. But <laughs> regardless of the case, we were bonded together as brothers. Drugs were in the mix sex parties were in the mix a lot of shit went down in my college days that's a whole nother podcast but um it's not that i would say that we were weak but it's weird when you get in that group setting that you try to release a lot of your stress and a lot of things going on in your world by submitting to drugs alcohol sex and all the things that were mentioned but ultimately, I, I don't think that as a problem today. I don't see it in the wrestling scene that I'm trying to research and I'm trying to explore. I, I don't see it. In fact, I see it as just people coming together, yeah, in a frat-like mentality, but coming together as a family. When you go to wrestling shows, that is one thing that I will show you because there is a level of family. There is a level of bonding that comes from the professional wrestlers, from the fans. 
um, that group together and it's something special and it's nothing as dark as we've seen in this piece but finally a lot of other things have happened between 2010 and 2019 and a lot of it has us exploring our mental health I can't just say I'm gonna put myself in someone's shoes and try to feel and know what they're going through because I may be in their shoes but I'm not in their mind um, recently we lost someone very close to our community one Ashley Mazzaro and we would not have even known of the mental struggle that she was going through because we were not in her mind um, so all I leave you with is that our mental health is really important and all I have to share is that there is help out there there is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You could find them at suicidepreventionlifeline.org or if you're in that place where it's really dark, it feels like you're all alone, it feels like no one cares and you just need to talk to someone, call that hotline. It's 1-800-273-8255. Reach out because if we can't get in and you need that that lifeline you need that hand please reach out please reach out because there are people who care there are people who want to break through that's pretty much it everybody that's all i have for you today in a shot of wrestling reports i'm gonna keep uh, actually looking through a lot of my old files and seeing what else i come up with or what else kind of shit i was writing back in my college academic days um but until then this is able Good night.